How many of y'all would agree with me this morning if I were to say we live in a world that has a really confused relationship with the truth? Y'all agree with that? Like, for instance, uh, almost everything we do in life depends on people telling us the truth. You go to the bank, you expect them to tell you the truth. You go to the doctor, you expect he's going to tell you the truth. Relationships, business, I mean, every part of our lives is kind of built upon this idea that people are telling us the truth. And I'm sure you've come to church today expecting, at least I hope you expect, that I'm going to tell you the truth. But on the other hand, we've all been lied to enough, we just don't trust anybody, do we? You go and you test drive the car and that joker says, oh, it runs good. And you might believe him and buy the car, but you still don't trust him, do you? You think, ah, oh, he was lying to me about something. Or, you know, they had one of those political debates just the other night, two of them actually. And every election cycle, we vote for the politician that makes the best promises that we believe is going to keep those promises, and we know they're all lying to us. We live in a weird relationship with the truth. And that relationship is even more complicated because, if we're going to be honest, lying sometimes makes life a little bit easier, doesn't it? I know you're afraid to admit to it, but it does. Have you really always been sick every time you've taken a sick day? Oh, no, preacher, that was a mental health day. Gotcha. <laughs> you ever you ever lie to your kids? Honey, the tooth fairy's on vacation this week. Um, he's just not going to be able to make it. Lies make life easier. We all have told lies. We all are native in the language of lies. We know everyone else lies, but we expect everybody to tell us the truth, Right? We, we get outraged when people lie to us. In fact, just think about this. When was the last time you told a lie? Do you remember? Do you remember? When was the last time somebody else lied to you? Do you remember that? Do you remember the last time you caught somebody in a lie and you made a mental note in your mind beside their name and said, I will never trust that person again? We live in a world full of lies. Whether you like to accept it or not, we do live in the world of fake. That's where we are. In fact... When was the last time you even heard a sermon about telling the truth? I can't remember the last one I heard or preached. But today is your lucky day. Because that's exactly what you're going to hear about this morning. And it's going to be good for you to hear that. Because some of you really are just a little too comfortable telling what you think are little white lies. Harmless little untruths that you work into your conversations. You expect everybody else to be honest with you. But you play fast and loose with the truth because your heart has not been transformed to speak with clarity and with integrity. Most of you today, I'm sure, would claim that you have a relationship with Jesus. And you've never realized how that relationship with Him has an impact on the words that you speak. So that the words you speak say something to the rest of the world about who you really are. And they say something to the rest of the world about who you believe He is. And they say a whole lot about your relationship to Him. So since we've all fibbed and stretched the truth and told those little white lies, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount confronts exactly that problem and what it relates to our hearts. So look with me this morning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 33. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 33 And I'm thankful this morning that even though we do live in a world of lies, there is one place we can come 
to hear the truth, whether we like it or not. That anytime we open this book, we know we're hearing truth. We ought to be thankful for that. So let's show our gratitude by standing and honoring God's Word as we read it. We're studying through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings here at Sharon Heights. And here Jesus confronts this problem of deception many of us have. Verse 33, Matthew 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You can be seated. And I trust the Lord's going to help us as we look at this passage today. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, for those of you that maybe haven't been here the past few weeks, Jesus is preaching in such a way, not just to give us advice for a living, but to show Himself as the rightful King of our hearts. And as King, Jesus is saying, I have the right to define for you how you live. I have the right to describe to you how your heart should function and how your life should look. And because of that, Jesus is challenging some of the most long-held, and deeply held cultural expectations that we have and that his audience had. He comes at them with a radically new standard of righteousness, saying to them, you can either live by what you've heard others say, you can live by how you've been raised to think, you can live by what religion teaches you and what the culture teaches you, or you can live by what I teach you. And Jesus has brought that authority into our hearts and such issues as anger. He said, you're going to get angry, but I have the right to tell you how that works. He has confronted us with the sin of lust. And he says, I'm going to challenge your perceived authority to lust after whoever you want to. Jesus says, I am king over that area. And last week we saw in verses 31 through 32 that Jesus' authority even extends over the issue of divorce. But now Jesus' words about his authority start to overlap our words. He says, I am king to such a degree that I should determine how you speak. Now, you know that words are the primary means that we use to communicate. We use facial expressions and we use our hands, but we communicate through our language. What Jesus is going to show us in this text of Scripture is that your words do not just convey your wishes. They do not just convey your expectations. Your words do not just convey your thoughts, but your words actually reveal your heart. They reveal what you believe about God. And they show the world your relationship to Him and His relationship to you. Every day, human beings speak on average of about 10,000 words a day. And Jesus says, I am king over every single one of them. And He says, since I'm king, you'd be probably a whole lot better off if you'd speak a few less. He said, just keep it to yes or no. And He said, you'll probably be safe if you keep it there. Jesus says that for those who belong to His kingdom, honesty really is the only policy. It's not just the best policy. It's the only policy. As our words reflect our relationship to Him. So today we're going to look at this text where Jesus talks about swearing. He talks about oath. And we're going to look at two insights that He gives us into our speech habits as He shows us that He sees through our ordinary everyday lies and problems in our speech to reveal to us how He expects us to honor God with our words. How we honor Jesus as our King with the way that we talk. And the first insight Jesus gives us is into our speech pathology. Jesus gives us an insight into our speech pathology. He says, you've heard that it was said, 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, speech pathology is the discipline of helping people to speak more clearly, to speak better, to enunciate their words, to overcome speech impediments, to slow down where everyone can understand whoever wants to do that. And Jesus is going to confront the deeper speech pathology, the problem of sin in our hearts that comes out when we speak. What gives Jesus the right to do that? Well, he's showing us in this text from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, in this whole sermon, he's showing that he has a right to do that because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what it means to be king. It means you can tell people what to do. And Jesus is telling us what to do. So again, we are confronted with this question. Are we going to be guided And are we going to be molded and shaped by what we've always heard, by how we were raised, by what we heard growing up, or by what Jesus said? Are we going to be shaped by our traditions, our preferences, or by Him? And everything Jesus has said over the last few weeks as He's confronted us about anger and lust and divorce, and now our words, and Lord willing, next week about how we think about our enemies, it all goes back to what Jesus said in verse number 20. Where he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious, righteous people you can think of, Jesus said, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's doing there are a couple things. He's saying on the one hand that you really need to have a righteousness that is beyond you and outside of you. And Jesus is saying, only I can provide that for you. But Jesus is also saying that their righteousness is a righteousness that's always trying to follow the rules, but always looking for a loophole. It's always looking for a way to let themselves off easy. And so they had found a loophole. The law said you shouldn't murder. And hey, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm not a murderer. Jesus says if you're angry in your heart, you're guilty of murder. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery. My body hadn't committed adultery. Jesus said sexual sin is not about your body, it's about your heart. But what was the loophole in the way that they spoke? What's Jesus dealing with in this problem? Well, there was a cultural problem of what you might call acceptable deceit. It was okay for them to lie to one another. And really the heart of the issue Jesus is dealing with here is in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7, where I'm sure you know the Bible says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Most of us know that, most of us believe that, and probably, I hope, try to live that way. And just in case you don't, let me be as clear and as blunt as I can, God's last name is not damned. And the name Jesus Christ is not a curse word. It's not a profanity. And if you claim to know Him and love Him, you should not breathe that out when things don't go your way. And some of you do that. It'd be a good time for you to come to the altar and repent. I remember as a kid, though, I loved to cuss. I'm just telling you, I was good at it. I was like the Leonardo da Vinci of profanity. I would weave together these tapestries of cuss words, man. But one thing I never did, I never took the Lord's name in vain. Because I was taught that was playing with fire. That's blasphemous. That's a bridge too far. And just to make sure I didn't take the Lord's name in vain, I did not swear in the name of God. Right? You don't say, I swear to God. Right? Many of you are raised to believe that same way. But what you may not know about the Bible in the Old Testament is that the Old Testament permitted people to swear in the name of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse number 20 says this, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him, and by His name you shall swear. So it was understood in the Old Testament life of the Jewish people that there were times in certain situations where they would have to say something like, people may say in court today, as God as my witness. They would be saying, 
Let God be the judge of what I say, and I am telling the truth. And it was thought that when you live in a society where everybody reverences the person of God, everybody respects the name of God, everybody worships and reveres and honors God, that if you bring God into your conversation, you are telling the truth. And the Bible said in Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. If you've made a swear, an oath in the name of God, and it proved to be false, then it was considered taking God's name in vain. It was considered using His name lightly. It was considered dragging the high and holy name of the God of Jehovah into the profanity and dishonesty of our sin. You got that so far? All right. Here was their problem. They had the problem that we still have today. They wanted to lie, but they wanted everybody else to think they were telling the truth. So, they knew they couldn't swear in the name of God if they were going to lie. So they would swear in the name of things that weren't quite as impressive as God, but were still important. Like Jesus talks about here. He says, you swear in the name of Jerusalem. I swear by Jerusalem, I'm telling you the truth. Or you'd swear by the temple. I swear by the temple in Jerusalem. I swear by heaven. Or they would even sometimes swear by the hair on their head. Looks like some of y'all have done that and you lied. Um... They would swear by their beard. I swear by my beard. I'm telling you the truth. These guys love their beards. And doing that made it look like they were really being honest. I swear by Jerusalem. I'm telling you the truth. But in reality, they were doing that to make themselves look honest, even though they were lying. And so when they lied or when they broke their promise or when they disrupted their vow, hey, at least we didn't swear in the name of God. So what's the big deal? You think, Brother Jesse, that's that's weird and complicated, this elaborate system in place to justify lies. That's weird to think about having a culture where you have a system of rules in place where it was okay to lie, isn't it? But that's the world we live in too, isn't it? Where there are certain situations where we believe it's okay for us to lie. It's okay to lie if it benefits me. Some of you live by that rule. Some of you live by the rule it's okay for you to lie if you're never going to be found out. Some of you live by the rule that most of us live by the rule. It's okay to lie if we're sparing somebody's feelings. If the truth is going to make somebody mad, then maybe we should just dial it back a little bit. There was an old episode of the TV sitcom Seinfeld where they talked about what they called must-lie situations. They said there are certain situations you're in where you have to lie. And here's the example they gave, gave. The example they gave is when somebody has a new baby and it's an ugly baby and you see the baby for the first time. What do you do in that situation? Do you tell the truth? Like you holding this kid and you think, man, there just ain't enough chlorine in this gene pool. What do you do? And they said in that situation, you have to lie. And say, well, preacher, what do you do in that situation? I don't ask the Lord to forgive you, I guess. But we think... We think there are situations in business and in relationships. We think there are situations all the time in life where it's okay for us to lie. It's a comfortable language for us, right? The Bible says to us, I didn't put this verse on the screen, but Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. That is all of our native tongue, whether we grow up speaking English or Spanish or Chinese or whatever, as a first language, our first language is lying. That's why you don't have to teach your kids to lie. You have to punish them for lying so they learn to tell the truth. It comes naturally to us. It's easy to lie. And yet, paradoxically, even if we reject the Bible, even if we reject Scripture, even if we wonder why would it be wrong to lie all the time, uh, we still believe uh, that it's wrong for people to lie to us. We get mad when people lie to us. We are creatures made for truth, 
but bent towards lies. We want the world to run on truth. We want truth in our justice system. We want truth in business. We want truth in government. Good luck. We want truth in all of these areas. But the truth is we're all guilty of lying. Sometimes we don't reveal all the information that we have because concealing the facts benefits us. Sometimes we only convey certain details of an experience or a story because leaving out certain details makes us look like the hero who gets the praise or the victim who gets the sympathy. Sometimes we exaggerate and exaggerate and exaggerate without realizing we are manipulating reality to change people's perceptions of events and of us. We make promises we never intend to keep. And Jesus simply says, don't. He says in verse 34, do not take an oath at all. Don't be so reckless and careless with your words. Because if you are constantly swearing by Jerusalem and swearing by the hair on your head and swearing on your mother's grave and all this stuff, you know what you're telling people? What you're telling people is, now normally I'll be lying to you, but this time, I'm really telling the truth. Normally you can't trust anything I say, but I'm swearing by the temple this time. And I'm going to throw my beard on the line so you know I'm telling it right this time. Folks, Smart people do not have to brag about how smart they are. Funny people do not have to laugh at their own jokes. And honest people don't have to convince everybody of how honest they are. It comes out on them. And Jesus is telling us to be people of integrity so that our words are marked by sincerity, simplicity, integrity, and clarity. That's the goal. So he says, just say yes or no. So he gives us an insight into our speech pathology. But now he gives us an insight into speech purity. He shows us the problem, but now he shows us how our language should work. He says in verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So at this point, I'm afraid to preach the rest of the sermon because I've got to use words to do it. Maybe all of us would just sit quietly and sulk for a while. But his point is, is really obvious that God's people should speak with such integrity and speak with such simplicity that when they speak, people know they are telling the truth. They know that they are being honest. So if the concern in this passage is taking God's name in vain, then Jesus would want us to know that patterns of dishonesty, patterns of gossip, patterns of hateful and abusive speech, those things take God's name in vain as well. Some of you would never string G and D together. You'd never use the name of Jesus. Recklessly. But you don't realize that you have drugged Jesus into your conversations even though you may not have used His name. Because you carry His name if you've put your faith in Him. If you claim to the world that you are a follower of Jesus and you claim to the world that you are a Christian and you are living with Jesus as your King like we just sang about a moment ago, then Jesus is part of every word you speak. And when we gossip and when we tear people down and when we lie and when we exaggerate to a harmful degree, we are taking God's name in vain. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So does our speech honor Him? Or does our speech show that we think little of the name and the person of God who has saved us? And as I thought about that over the past few weeks, I thought about their particular religious problem of making promises in the name of God or the city of God or the temple of God that they never intended to keep. Then it kind of dawned on me that we have a problem in churches like ours. Not where we would make promises in the name of God that we would intend to keep. But we've made it acceptable to make promises to God we never intend to keep. 
The Bible warns us against that in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5 say that when you vow a vow, make a promise to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. I want you to know today, all of you, I want you to hear me. God expects you to hold up your end of your promises to Him. He does. He does. But we've made it acceptable somehow in our church culture to make promises to God that we do not mean, that we do not intend to keep, that we are on the hook for. And some of you need to think about that in your life because, honestly, y'all lie every time you come to church. We come in here at invitation time and sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. You lie to God. Don't sing it. Stand there quietly. If you're not surrendered everything to Him. People come before their church family, bring a child, and dedicate that child and say, we promise, we vow to obligate ourselves to raising that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And where are they at? Their kids are being pushed in every other direction as if Jesus is important, but He's not as important as everything else. God will expect us to keep those promises. People come into a church house in front of a preacher, in front of God and their families, and they make promises to God in the presence of God to love, honor, cherish, obey, and have, and to hold, and rich, and poor, and better, and worth, and sickness, and health. Never intend to keep it and don't keep it. Friend, God takes our promises to Him seriously. And some of you are thinking, that's right, preacher, get them divorced people and them bad parents. Some of y'all, when you got saved, you promised Jesus you would go anywhere He wanted you to, and you would do anything He asked you, because you were so excited that your sin was forgiven. You were so amazed that God loved you like that. You said, Lord, my life is yours. I will do anything that you expect for me to. And y'all can't make it to Sunday school. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to, but I sure ain't getting out of bed early. I mean, good gracious. Friend, God expects you to keep those promises. Don't lie to God. Terrible idea. Jesus says, make promises to God and keep them if you make them. But he also says to us, don't make promises in the name of God you don't intend to keep. Honesty is the only policy for us. Let your yes mean yes and let your no be no. Be people who speak the truth all the time in every situation. Why do we do that? Because honesty is the best policy? Well, not really. Because you think about how the human heart works. There are times when being honest will get you in trouble. There are times when being honest will cost you money. There are times when being honest will cost you friendships. And I'm not talking about being mean with the truth. I'm talking about being honest. What the Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus. I'm talking about loving people and telling them the truth and they need to hear it. That will cost you relationships. So if in our hearts we are only telling the truth because it's the best policy, because... If I tell the truth, people will like me. I'll be known as a business person who has integrity, who takes care of people and keeps my word. If I'm only telling the truth because I want people to like me, eventually you will lie for the exact same reason. I promise you. If we are only telling the truth because we want people to think well of us, if we only tell the truth because it makes life easy for us, I've heard people say that. Tell the truth, it makes things easier. You don't have to remember all your lies. That's true. That is true. But if you only tell the truth because it makes life easy, I promise you eventually you will lie. Because the truth can make life very, very hard. Jesus is showing us here that the reason we should speak the truth is because we are a transformed people who love the truth after having encountered the truth in our own lives. And he says something similar, but he expands on it in Matthew chapter 12, 
Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now that's true. What kind of tree is that with apples on it over there? Then he says this, you brood of vipers, Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus says a couple of important things about the words we use there. First, he says that our words reveal who we really are. Our words are the surest and most accurate window into what's happening in our soul. So all the time we say things like, well, I lost my temper temper and said some things I didn't really mean. No, that's probably the only time he's been real honest. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth is really the overflow of what's in your heart. He says, your words have a lot to say about who you really are. And he says, one day, your words will speak finally about you at the judgment. Your own words will have the final word about who you really were in life. And you will answer for every word you said. You will meet again every single word you have thrown out into this world with carelessness. You will meet every single lie you have texted. You will meet every single rumor you have spread out on Facebook. You will meet it again one day. And so we have to ask ourselves, what will our words say about us when we meet them again? Are my words going to say that I'm the kind of person who likes to hurt others through gossip? Will your words prove that you want to control other people by being loud and abrasive and using foul language? Will your words prove that you're just trying to impress everybody by how much you like to brag about how awesome you are? Do your words prove that you like to deceive people by disguising the truth? What will our words testify about us? What will they say about our hearts? Our words should say that our hearts have been changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Is that? Here's why. Because every person who is a true follower of Jesus, at some point, their life and their heart have been transformed by a message that at one time they did not believe to be true or they did not know to be true. And somehow, whether it was through a parent, through a church, through a preacher, through a random encounter, through something on the television, whatever it was, somehow God dropped a big truth grenade right into the darkness of their sin and the deception of their soul. And all of a sudden, what they thought was unbelievable or what had previously been unknowable, all of a sudden, that truth came to life. And they could not help but see it. And you know what the Lord Jesus says about that? He says that if you encounter that truth, that truth will make you free. He said the truth of who I am and the truth of what I can do, that truth can take off the shackles of your sin and the shackles of your deception and take you out of a world of lies and put you into a world where you are walking in truth. And if we have been freed in Jesus, one of the things we ought to have been freed from is from our habit of lying to everybody all the time. So think about what they said on Seinfeld. Think about those must-lie moments. Those situations where you feel like you have no choice but to lie. Why do we do that? Why do we lie? We lie for a lot of reasons. We lie because we want to be in control. 
We lie because we want to be thought well of. We lie because we want to keep things nice and easy and understandable. We lie because we think our sense of identity and value is tied into how other people perceive of us. We lie because the truth will cost us. But we lie ultimately because we've always believed a lie. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pen that bursts every one of those lies that we believed. Because the gospel says my identity is not tied into what other people think about me. So that even if they do not like me because I tell them the truth, my God in heaven says that I am loved in Christ and I am accepted in the beloved. I may lie or I may tell the truth and it may cost me deeply. It may cost me financially. It may cost me things I feel like I have to have. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ comes and tells me that I will never gain by deception or lose in honesty what has been provided for me in Jesus. Why? Because I am a joint heir with Christ and an heir of God. How is the truth ever going to cost me what is mine in Christ? We lie because we want to be in control. We want to keep life manageable. And we want to make sure that we are always getting our way. Friend, the gospel tells you that the worst thing can happen to you is for you to get your way. Because your way is going to lead you to hell. But that God on the cross, when it seemed like the world was coming unhinged, Jesus was absolutely in control. Saving us for a perfect future and an eternal heaven with Him. So yeah, sometimes telling the truth makes life get crazy for a while. But long term, is it going to undo what God has promised? No, because every one of His promises are true. And they are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So why do I tell the truth? Honestly, I tell the truth because it pleases Jesus. I tell the truth because it pleases Him. I tell the truth because it honors God. And that's what Jesus has been getting to in the Sermon on the Mount, really. He's been saying, I'm calling you to a kind of righteousness that is not easy. But this is a life that honors God. It's a life that imitates God. A life that shows Him to the world as salt and light to those that need it. So if I'm reading what Jesus has said to us in the Sermon on the Mount right, then the last thing Jesus cares about is merely to make us comfortable. Like you don't go along telling people, you know, you shouldn't be angry about that because you're guilty of murder. Because you want people to be comfortable. You don't go around saying, you know, you shouldn't be lusting after her because that's really the same as adultery if you just want people to be comfortable. You don't come around telling people, shut up because you lie all the time. Just say yes or no because you want people to be comfortable. But I know some of you today believe that Christianity just exists to give you an easy life where everything's comfortable. I want you to listen to me and think about this as you go in just a few moments. If all Jesus wants to do is make you comfortable, then it is not always a sin for you to lie. If all Jesus wants to do is to make you comfortable, then there should be times when He's okay with you lying because lying is going to be more comfortable than the truth many times in life. But if Jesus wants you to honor God and to show Him to the world, then there are going to be times when you're going to tell the truth and it will cost you. So Jesus says, keep your speech simple. Simple, one-syllable words. Yes or no. You're never going to go wrong saying less. You're going to get in trouble when you start to talk more. Now, I know we hear what Jesus says to us in this passage, and we start thinking, well, Brother brother Jesse, I, I tell you, I'm just an outspoken person. That's just the way I was raised. That's the way my people are. i got to give people a piece of my mind. Well, make sure you got enough to share when you start doing that.
That's, that's, that, that's what some of you are thinking right now. Though. I, I, I just want everybody to know where I stand. And what you mean is you just like to vomit up your sinful nature on every opinion, topic, subject, and person that comes across your life. Well, just so you know, the Bible has some words for you too. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 3. A fool's voice is known by his many words. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 21.23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. But wait, that's just the Old Testament. James chapter 1, verse number 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 3, 9 and 10, with it, that is with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse who are made in, people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We should not be the kind of people who come to church and talk about how much we love Jesus and raise our hands to Him and talk about how great He is and badmouth the people we've worshipped with as soon as we're out of the parking lot. Jesus says, one day, you will answer for every idle word. Jesus is in the car ride home with you. He's on the keyboard with you. He's right there in the phone. I mean, you know Apple Computers knows everything you're sending. So does the federal government. I promise you the Lord Jesus does. And so, as I think about what Jesus is saying here, I see a way of living that is almost foreign to us in the world. Where can you go to hear truth? And to see this kind of commitment to truth and to walk in simple integrity and a commitment to be honest. Jesus says here, you should be able to see that in my people. You should be able to see that in the people who claim my name over their lives. But then I think that, yes, we live in a world that runs on deception. Where people are lied to every day and they're used to being lied to. And what a refreshing change it would be for them. If they knew there are people out there that are going to tell the truth. There are people who love the truth. There are people who have been changed by the truth. And they are going to tell me the truth in love. The people in my office that know Jesus, those people are going to be honest with me. Even if it costs them personally. The people that are my friends that are Christians, those people love me enough to tell me the truth. Even if I don't immediately hear it. Those people in my family that follow Jesus... They believe that following Jesus means they should tell me what's right and what's wrong and be clear about that from a heart of concern for me and concern for the truth. Those people at that church, when they go to Sunday school, when they stand in the pulpit, when the Word of God is preached or when the songs are sung, those people love truth. God put that in us. And if anything would make us salt and light like Jesus commanded in this world, I think this one might do it. For people to see there's something radically different. There's something radically different about those Jesus people. They're just so honest. They're just so honest. Let's stand together today. Our musicians are coming. I know you're probably afraid to respond to the invitation this morning. Because everybody else is going to wonder who you've been lying to. So let me let me just make sure everybody understands. I have not just preached to liars today. I've preached to gossips. I've preached to people that are abusive in their language. I've preached to people who are mean, people who want to be thought well of and 
use profanity to do that. People who, let's throw it in there, people who tell jokes they shouldn't to their friends at school so they think that they're cool. What else have we missed? I've spoken today to everybody who has a problem with words. And that's all of us. And so it would be good for some of you to come back today and say, Lord, change my heart. Help me to be conscious of how I speak. Help me to be conscious of how I sound to others. Be good for some of you to come and say that today because you don't realize how you come across. You're not nearly as mean as other people think you are. But you're not sensitive to them when you speak and you're not wise in the way you talk. Maybe some of you have made promises to God in your past. You're not keeping them in your present. Come and say, Lord, give me the grace and the energy and the faith to pay everything I vowed. This altar's open. If you need to come, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. We'll give you a chance to respond while we do sing.